Okay, boys and girls, it's now time for Treks in Sci-Fi. Hello and good day to everyone. This is Rico and this is Treks in Sci-Fi podcast show number 153 for December the 16th, 2007. Just a little more than a week away till Christmas time. This week's show, we're going to be looking at a classic uh, original series Trek episode, The Enterprise Incident. We've got a collectible later in the show from a very cool movie from the past. We've got a few uh, listener segments to play for you as well. So I think uh, we're going to have a fun time this week. i got a few other things to talk about. I saw a cool movie yesterday and just some general sci-fi fun. I thought this week uh, for the intro music, uh, intro segment for the show, that I would play the preview for today's Star Trek episode uh, review and look at uh, the Enterprise incident. So here's the one-minute audio preview for that episode, and I will be right back with the rest of the show. That's a Klingon ship. Your ship is surrounded, Captain. You board this ship, I'll blow it up. I must see your authorization. Over there. Accept what is happening between us. I cannot allow the captain to be further destroyed. I say now that Captain Kirk ordered the Enterprise across the neutral zone on his own initiative and his craving for glory. That's a lie! He is not sane. You lie! I'll kill you! We will take a small band of Romulans aboard the Enterprise. As its commander. By your own standards of normality, this man is not fully competent. No, not now. The doctor has now confirmed your testimony. I instinctively used the Vulcan death grip. Your instincts are still good. The captain is dead. Well, again, uh, welcome to the show, everyone. There you had the preview, uh, one-minute preview for uh, this uh, week's Star Trek episode look. Uh, let's see. What's been going on? This uh, past week's been pretty good uh, for me. Yeah, just to let you know, I have uh, think I've got most of my Christmas shopping done, which is kind of a treat. Uh, more than a week away till Christmas and all done. Got a couple little things to pick up still, a couple little stocking stuffers. But basically, I'm finished. Uh, took a day off last week and tried to uh, finish it up. So, that's always a little bit of a relief. It seems rather busy out there in the stores this year, uh, more than I would have thought. It you know it seemed kind of early to be that busy. People were, I don't know, out out in force even during the week. It seemed like at least around me. So, but anyway, that's uh, taken care of, I believe. The weather here has been rather odd. We've had rain, sort of icy stuff, and, and today we woke up to. Uh, Oh, gosh, I don't know. We have about five or six inches of snow and more on the way. I'm going to try to uh, take some photos of it later on and post some things up on the forums and for all the people. There have been a lot of pictures up lately of people posting different uh, things going on around them and different uh, snowy scenes throughout the country and even out in Arizona. Somebody on the forums, some snow up in the mountains there posted. Brian on the forums did that. So, uh you know, it's always fun to see what's going on in the rest of the country. And, and for people listening, even outside the United States, uh, Canada, I know we have a lot of listeners there and people on the forums from Canada and other places in the world. You know, feel free to post things up. Uh, if you're not on the forums, join up. Uh, we've got a lot of good uh, things going on there lately. So check it out. 
Well, I uh, went out with my uh, two sons yesterday. My older son's home from college for the winter, uh, you know, holiday break. And my uh, younger son, uh, who is also, he's in high school, so they're both fairly old and and seem to uh, be of the appropriate age to see this movie. We all went out yesterday to see I Am Legend, that new Will Smith movie based on the book uh, by Richard Matheson. And, I, you know, I have to say, this this movie really, uh, I think, is, is very well done. Very impressive. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, it, it's it's pretty intense, I, I have to say. You know, the, this isn't, uh, it's not definitely the happiest movie in the world to see, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I like the ideas, and uh, Will Smith just, uh, you know, the guy is great in everything I see. Every movie, I think he gets better in, and this movie he had to carry, you know, you've seen from the previews, he has to carry this movie quite a bit on his own almost the whole time so you know he is the main guy in this movie along with his dog and and there's just so many scenes that he just really does a great job and there's you know sometimes it's not even a lot of dialogue it's just the way he he looks and acts and moves and and just everything uh really impressed he's uh really really come a long way from the fresh prince of bel-air days i think um but anyway this uh, i am legend movie really great uh Cool sci-fi type movie. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can pretty much tell what the movie's like from the previews. If it interests you at all, I would recommend going to see it. Uh, the other cool thing about this movie is at the beginning of it, they show the trailer for next summer's next Batman movie, The Dark Knight. And this movie looks great. I'm a big comic book and Batman fan. And we saw the, I guess it's maybe two, three minute long preview with, you know, featuring Heath Ledger as the Joker and a lot of stuff with him in it. And the the preview looks great. And I think the movie, uh, if you go see I Am Legend in IMAX, they're showing even more footage from the next Batman film there. So you might want to, you know, if you're interested in I Am Legend and you have an IMAX theater nearby and you like Batman, you might want to, you know, hook all that together and go see it there. I, I only saw it in a regular theater, so we saw the regular preview, which... I believe, from what I heard, should be showing up officially online uh, right about now. It is. It was leaked, I think, a few days ago. Somebody did some, you know, snuck a camcorder into a movie theater and, you know, took sort of a sloppy version of it. I kind of, you know, the only way to combat that kind of stuff from happening, I feel, is, and I know they're trying to get people to go see movies by hooking special trailers to them, but the truth of the matter is the minute it's out there, it's going to be out there on the net. You might as well... When the trailer's released in movie theaters, you might as well have it show up online officially as well. At least that's my piece of advice, especially since, you know, don't you want people to see it in the, in the best version they possibly can online rather than somebody's, you know, camcorder, you know, crooked, bad sound version. But anyway, that's just my piece of advice to the guys out there putting these things out. The other trailer that's popped up, to, you know, segueing over into another thing is this there's another Cloverfield uh, footage out. I guess it's the first few minutes of the movie, I think, is what it's supposed to be. Uh, this movie looks great, and it's been pretty well uh, announced by J.J. Abrams, who has worked on this movie, that he is not actually the director of it, I believe. he Someone else directed it, but he's well uh, behind the scenes, executive, produ- executive producer excuse me, of the film Cloverfield. It comes out on uh, January 18th. He uh, basically said it's sort of an American Godzilla movie. He's kind of come out and said that. He said, you know, the Japanese, the, you know, Japanese have had Godzilla uh, as a monster for their kind of culture, even though that sort of permeated the United States as well in America. But uh, the this is, he says, sort of, uh, you know, a new monster movie for the United States, for America, 
taking place in New York, it looks like, from the previews primarily. So that is uh, pretty well announced. There's no, uh, you know, it, it was rumored and thought from the things that have been shown that it's some sort of big monster movie. Uh, and it's pretty much been confirm- confirmed. Uh, I can't talk right now. <laughs> confirmed now. So anyway, that will be coming out in January. And the very cool other thing about that is that the first Star Trek trailer is supposed to be associated at the beginning in, uh, of that film. So definitely be there to see Cloverfield on opening weekend. Okay, another bit of uh, news that I wanted to pass along, which is kind of a little depressing and, and a little sad, is that it seems that the... Uh, the staff that ran Star Trek.com, the official Star Trek website, has been let go. Uh, this has been officially announced on the website. It's been all over the various Star Trek sites. Trek Movie had some stuff on it. I put some stuff up on it. Uh, you know, they they had sort of a goodbye page on Star Trek.com, which you can find still. It's it seems CBS has uh, let them go. It, it's difficult to say the reasons behind this at this point it, you know it's sad news anytime anyone loses a job anywhere and in 2008 with the next star trek film coming they just released the hd dvd set for season one you know they're continuing to do the remastered star trek episodes on tv you know cbs paramount they they really hold star trek pretty dear to their hearts so there is a lot more to this than than meets the eye it's not like they're going oh star trek's not important anymore let's dump the website I firmly believe that StarTrek.com will continue in some form. Uh, how that's going to take place, maybe it will be integrated into, into uh, some kind of CBS uh, website. I don't know at this time. No one really seems to be saying it, it's difficult. They, this happened a couple of years ago, too, right after, not too long after I think Enterprise was canceled. The same kind of thing was, was rumored, and CBS actually kind of stepped in at the last minute and saved them. Uh, saved the website, saved uh, and kept it continuing pretty much in the form it was was in at the time. I have a feeling they're just sort of revamping the whole thing. I mean, Star Wars is has joined up with Yahoo and is doing some new things for fan and a fan site uh, that has been going on for the past uh, you know month or two. So Star Trek, I think they're looking to revamp and sort of re-energize it. Uh, you know, to use sort of a Star Trek term anyway. I think that's the goal here. It's unfortunate that people seem to have lost their jobs over it, uh, that they couldn't be somehow utilized as well. But um, that's the way it is sometimes. I mean, I, I, it's it's unfortunate, but companies, there's no there's no rules or anything out there. They can let anyone go at any time unless you're in some kind of a union. So that's, uh, that's the story right now, and we'll keep everyone informed uh, what we find out and how StarTrek.com uh, evolves, I guess, in, into the future in 2008. Okay, I've got another uh, uh, cool uh, music segment from Vartok here uh, about another musical uh, person. It's uh, about uh, this first part of the segment, the intro segment that he did is rather long. It's about eight minutes, but I'd like to play it for you. And I will do that uh, in a second, and then we will have an answer segment later in the show. So here's Vartok with another cool music segment for you.
Hello everyone, this is Bartok again with another Music and Sci-Fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about composer and conductor Alan Silvestri. You have been listening to Beowulf's theme, the movie currently in playing in the theaters. Isn't that a powerful track? Doesn't it just make you want to don a fur skin and row a long oar on a Viking ship in a pounding sea? Well, or maybe cozy up to an iPod. Alan, or Al, Silvestri was born March 26, 1950, in New York City, but he grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, only six miles west of the Big Apple, across the Hudson River. Alan is a well-known American, Academy Award-nominated, film score composer, whose works you will instantly recognize once I start to list them. He studied film scoring at the prestigious Berklee College of Music in Boston, spelled B-E-R-K-L-E-E, by the way. Alan is best known for his numerous collaborations with longtime friend and director Robert Zemeckis, having scored Romancing the Stone in 84, the Back to the Future trilogy in 85, 89, and 90, Forrest Gump in 94, Contact in 97, Castaway in 2000, The Polar Express in 2004, and just this November with Beowulf. He received an Oscar nomination for Best Original Score for Forrest Gump. He also received a Best Song for Believe on the Polar Express soundtrack. Children sleeping, snow is softly falling, dreams are calling, like bells in the distance, we Bartok, you said music and sci-fi. Yes, you're right. Let's get to the sci-fi side of things. Aside from his collaboration with Zemeckis, Silvestri is known for his work in Predator in 87 and Predator 2 in 90, both of which are considered to be preeminent examples of action sci-fi film scores. And, might I add, are some of my personal favorites. I could never separate the Predator movie from the music. Listen to these percussions. Over his musical life, Alan Silvestri has grown from a guitarist, drummer, and arranger in various bands 
to one of the world's most prolific and successful film composers. His name is attached to an impressive number of successful movies other than the ones I just mentioned, including Flight of the Navigator in 1986, The Abyss, Judge Dredd, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Volcano, The Mummy Returns, Contact, Stuart Little, The Bodyguard, What Lies Beneath, What Women Want, Lilo and Stitch, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, and Van Helsing in 2004. And of course, Rico's favorite, My Stepmother is an Alien, in 1988. This theme is from Contact, the Carl Sagan novel, turned into a 1997 sci-fi movie starring Jodie Foster as Dr. Alloway and her SETI radio telescope project. Sorry, Rico, I just couldn't come up with the theme to My Stepmother is an Alien. Alan possesses an exceptional talent for writing memorable themes. His sense of rhythm is even more remarkable and probably the best in the business. Because of this combination of qualities, he is considered by a lot of people as the best action picture composer. Often referred to as a musical chameleon, Silvestri has also amazed many people with the diversity of his work and has proven many times that he can score every movie genre at the highest level. Alan was already fascinated by music at a very early age, although he wasn't brought up in a musical family. He was only three years old when he started playing the drums. Alan relates, My parents were not interested in music. The first time I heard a symphony orchestra was in my early 20s. So there wasn't exposure to a certain kind of music, and yet music was what I always wanted to do. During his school years in the 60s, he was one of the member of the high school orchestra and taught himself to play various instruments like the drums, bassoon, clarinet, saxophone, and woodwinds. At the age of 14, Alan started playing the guitar. Again from Alan, When I was 14, my dad bought me a $15 guitar and a Mel Bay book. I remember my dad knew a few chords, tuned it up for me, and I never came out of my room again. It captivated me. How Al got his first movie assignment is a remarkable story. While in Las Vegas, Bradford Craig, the lyricist for some project with Quincy Jones, received a call from a small production company that asked him if he could put together a score to this little film that they had. As a lyricist, who knew nothing about writing music, Craig placed the caller on hold and called Alan. Alan, there's a movie here. Do you want to do it? Alan said yes. And just like that, he had his first film at age 20. The movie was called The Doberman Gang, a super low-budget film. And now the poser for later in this podcast. Do you know what Alan spent $75 on before his first movie composition? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later and tell you a bit more about Alan. Well, thanks very much, Vartok. And we'll be playing the rest of his Alan Silvestri comments on his musical career later in the podcast. 
Okay, a couple of announcements here that I was going to make earlier, but uh, kind of slipped my mind. I want to slip them in now, uh, kind of what's upcoming on the podcast. Next weekend, going to do a kind of a special show for Christmas and, and talk about sci-fi, maybe some of our favorite Christmas holiday gifts uh, and things and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to do a um, Skype call with some uh, listeners this is going to be recorded next Saturday. That will be December the 22nd at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. So we've on Skype next week, and that will be recorded and kind of edited a little bit. Not much, probably, and that will be next weekend's podcast. The week after that, I'm going to take a look at Revenge of the Sith the final uh, Star Wars movie that I haven't done any kind of commentary or review on yet. So that will be the week after that, which will be what? That'll be the coming out on like the 30th of December. So that's what you have to look forward to for the next couple of weeks on the podcast. I might try to slip in something else. Uh, I will have a little time off in between Christmas and New Year's. I might try to do a little video, something like that. Uh, so look for something uh, maybe about midweek or so, just post-Christmas for uh, a little special event show. Uh, we'll see how that works out. All right. Oh, uh, one last thing, though. I wanted to also say uh, that uh, I could use uh, always iTunes reviews and Podcast Alley votes. So if you're someone that listens to the podcast, maybe you've never done that, either iTunes or a Podcast Alley vote, check that out. You can get links to those things right off the main website, treksinsci-fi.com. Okay, I want to also mention uh, that I finished up the Tin Man miniseries, that miniseries event that was on the Sci-Fi Channel this uh, well, about two weeks ago. I guess it aired now. Uh, I finished part three finally last week, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm a big Wizard of Oz fan, like I've said a few times before, and this was a cool little retelling of that storyline uh, with a twist, uh, the different characters that they used, you know, similar to the characters in the original Wizard of Oz tales and movie and books and everything, but just with a little different uh, take on it. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was very impressed. Uh, production values were good. I thought the actors did a good job. Uh, and I guess it's going to be coming out on DVD in a couple of months, like in March or so. So if you missed it, uh, you'll get another chance to uh, watch it. Uh, so that DVD, keep an eye out for that. I, I think you'll enjoy it, especially if you're an Oz fan like I am. Okay, I'm going to take a very short break here. Got a little uh, preview clip to play for you about the Star Trek The Continuing Mission uh, that uh, is coming up. Uh, first episode is going to be released very soon. And I will be playing that for you uh, during this little break. And I will come back and we will be diving head on into the Enterprise incident. On Christmas Day, open hailing frequencies with the latest chapter in science fiction audio drama. Star Trek The Continuing Mission beams off the World Wide Web and into your MP3 player with all new adventures from the 24th century with an all-new captain. I'm Captain Paul Edwards of the Federation Starship Montana. You are ordered to stand down your attack and prepare to be boarded. Featuring an all-new starship and an all-new crew. Security Officer Plummer. Energizing defense fields, bringing weapons online. Chief Engineer McGuire. Captain, I can't keep a stationary at anything less than Block 1. Science Officer Natukov. The Romulan warship has been disabled, Captain, but there is an energy buildup like nothing I've ever seen. Communications Officer Knight. It seems the Klingons are jamming our communications. Only the jamming modulation isn't of Klingon standards, sir. Chief Medical Officer Kyle Wilson. 
Now, if you'd excuse me, Captain, I have to finish briefing the trauma teams. And Ace Helm Officer Susan Palmer. Three minutes from standard orbit, Captain. As they boldly go where no crew has gone before. Star Trek, the continuing mission. Available for download only at continuingmission.com. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to the first episode of that series by our friends of the show, uh, Sebastian Pruth, who we've talked to a few times, and his partner, Andy Tyrer, working on that TARD, I'm sure, to get it ready for Christmas Day release. So check out their website uh, on that day to download uh, the first episode of their new continuing mission. Okay, folks, time for some more classic Trek. The Enterprise Incident, Season 3, early in Season 3, uh, TOS episode, probably to me, uh, one of the best episodes from season three. And they were few and far between. You know, that third season got a little rocky, had a new uh, executive producer come in, really shook things up. And it was difficult, I think, for them to push out any gems. But I think definitely the Enterprise incident is a gem of season three. Really would be a gem of any of the seasons, I feel. This is a, a well put together episode. It has everything you'd want in a Star Trek episode, in my opinion. Uh, There are things, surprises, uh, just good drama, good acting, uh, an all-around great episode. So let's get into it. This uh, was also written by DC Fontana, which uh, lets you know that, you know, she wrote some of the best Trek episodes, period. I mean, she knew Trek. She especially, of course, liked the character, I think, of Spock. Most of her episodes figure, or Spock figures into most of her episodes fairly heavily, You know, she did Journey to Babel and this episode and and just, you know, really added a lot to Spock's character, I think. This episode was directed by John Meredith Lucas, also a good director of Trek, did quite a number of good episodes from the series. Now, again, this episode was shown early in the third season. It wasn't quite filmed as early in the third season as it was shown. You know, they didn't always film episodes and showed them in the same order. Uh, it was close, you know, but not to exactly, and not really a big deal. Sometimes you'd notice differences in the way the, the character costumes looked or the sets or something as they would change things subtly and, and sometimes less subtle than others. But those things would change throughout the season. You could pick up, you know, that episode looks like, hmm, his hair looked like this in this episode, and now it looks like this, which, you know, it's shorter in the next episode, and you could kind of pick up on that a little. But anyway, not a big deal. Okay, the the thrust and the basic uh, nature of this episode is the um, it starts out Kirk seems to be acting a little weird, a little goofy, uh, and uh, the crew is a little concerned about him, especially Dr. McCoy, and he uh, ends up putting the Enterprise at risk. They go into the Romulan neutral zone, get captured, things happen, and and I'm not going to say it all right now as we go through the clips that I've got uh, in talking about the episode, but it, it it's really a, a well put together episode it flows well i just watched it again this morning collecting up the audio clips for doing the podcast and it's just uh, very impressive I, I i just can't say enough about how much and how tight i think this episode is done okay i'll be talking about this as we go so let's get into some of the audio clips i've got about a 10 of uh, or 11 depending if i cut one while we're doing this sometimes i do that uh, i guess there's only about 10 now since i did the preview one already so anyway Let's get into uh, clip number one near the beginning of the Enterprise incident. Leaving neutral zone, now entering Romulan space. Very well, Mr. Sulu. Lieutenant, when did the order come through? Order? 
from Starfleet. The order to enter the neutral zone. There's been no order I know of, Mr. Scott. If you two have any complaints, you can bring them out into the open. That's a Klingon ship. But it couldn't be not in this area. Intelligence reports Romulans now using Klingon design. Sound red alert. Man battle stations, stand by main phases. Battle stations, Yeah, so the Enterprise uh, crosses over into the neutral zone based on Kirk's uh, own authority, his own orders, and is quickly surrounded by three ships, three Romulan ships, uh, which in this episode they now are using Klingon design. There's been an alliance of some type formed between the Klingon Empire and the Romulans, and they are now using Klingon-style ships. Uh, They don't really go into a lot of reasons behind why that's the case in the episode. It's... You know, supposedly the, the technology is a little better. They have sort of teamed up to to fight the Federation. Each of the, you know, each of the different empires, the Klingons and the Romulans, have tried to go after the Federation and have been kind of basically unsuccessful in in, in beating them. And just like have, that have happened, you know, throughout wars in, in human history on Earth. You know, well, when you can't beat them by yourself, you what do you do? You you, you grab an ally or two and you and you go after them with them. So. That is the idea here, and I think the other reason probably for, from a technical standpoint and a money standpoint for the episode is the visual effects in that. It was probably simpler and easier for them to use the Klingon ships for this episode, perhaps cheaper than it would have been to pull out the Romulan vessels, which hadn't really been seen a lot throughout Star Trek's original series run, Balance of Terror probably being the main uh, episode they ever showed a Romulan ship in. They they showed the Klingons quite a bit more. So anyway, that's the deal about the ship design situation. And because this episode is about this Klingon, or Klingon, excuse me, uh, is about the cloaking device, this new cloaking device that's even more undetectable that the Romulans have developed, there could be a technical reason why maybe it works better on a Klingon design ship throughout the, uh, or because of the power systems, who knows, it doesn't really matter, it's not the real point of the episode, they're surrounded by Romulan ships, and Kirk has put them in this situation, and he's acting, you know, like a nut, he he is, you know, McCoy is worried about him, and I have to say, you know, I'll just say it now, Shatner does a great job, I think, in this episode, people would say maybe he's a little over the top, I don't think so, I think he does a really good job of portraying somebody who's just losing it, he's real irritable, he, you know, he shakes at times. He looks, he's staring off in the distance in a couple of scenes. His mouth is kind of hanging open. He, he's just, he does a good job playing a crazy guy. And it reminds me a little bit about that, of that Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Uh, probably a lot of people listening to the podcast know that episode. That's the classic episode where William Shatner is playing this, uh, this guy on a, on a, you know, cross country. I don't know how long of a flight it's supposed to be, but he's on an airplane and he supposedly is a mental patient that just sort of got out of the institution he was in. And he starts to see this weird creature on the airplane wing. 
And every, no one really believes him because, for one, how is that possible? And for two, this guy's kind of a nutcase. And that is another example of how well Shatner can play a crazy guy. That episode, uh, or that episode of Twilight Zone, and this episode of Trek, I think, uh, yeah, really similar kinds of performances. He does a great job playing crazy. So let's go on to the next clip. This one is in uh, the conference room on the Enterprise when they're talking about what just happened to them, how they got surrounded, and a little bit about the cloaking device. So here we go with clip. Uh, next clip. You said you had a theory on why your sensors didn't pick up the new ships until they were upon us. I believe the Romulans have developed a cloaking device, which renders our tracking sensors useless. If so, the Romulans could attack into Federation territory before we knew they were there, before a vessel or a planet could even begin to get the defenses up. They caught us right enough. Well, that's a brilliant observation, Mr. Scott. Do you have any other helpful opinions? Well, we've not got many choices. We have three. We can fight and be destroyed, or we can destroy the Enterprise ourselves and keep her from the Romulans, or we can surrender. Opinions, gentlemen. If the Enterprise is taken by the Romulans, they'll know everything there is to know about a starship. If we had not crossed the neutral zone on your order, you would not now need our opinions to support a decision which should never have had to be made. Jim, you ordered us. You had no authority. Dismissed, Doctor. Jim, I said dismissed. Yeah, one thing that I, when I watched this again, one thing that struck me is, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, Kirk having to take it on his own authority to keep sort of the Federation off the hook in this episode, so he orders the Enterprise to go across the uh, neutral zone, it it doesn't really quite make it, it all all the most sense that he has to keep uh, all of his crew in, in the dark as much as he does. You know, the Romulans didn't need to, you know, they're not there, they're not watching the way he's acting. So him being crazy like this aboard the Enterprise for so long, you know, it has, I can see it having a little bit of meaning, but I think it's primarily to keep the audience in the dark about what's going on. Hey, is Kirk really lost it? Is he just, Shatner really flipped out here or whatever? Or or what is going on? So, uh, you know, it's kind of a twofold thing. I, I think that's probably the wise way to do it. Um, it still does keep the Federation off the hook. The crew wouldn't know any different. If, in case they got away, they would report that Kirk just sort of wigged out and ordered the ship across the neutral zone, and, and no one would be the wiser. And this this idea, you know, the Federation and the Enterprise had never really been set up throughout the series, throughout Star Trek, as being sort of a spy vessel. It would go off and do missions, and they were always really pretty upfront about everything. They'd be there, they'd announce, hey, we're from the United Federation of Planets, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. They'd never really been an espionage kind of outfit or or situation. The Federation had never been portrayed that way. You know, they have, uh, in later in Deep Space Nine, there's this uh, group of operatives uh, that is called Section 31, I believe. Yeah, Section 31. It is, you know, that is sort of like the, the black ops group uh, that helps the Federation do certain jobs where, you know, the clean cut, you know, guys in uniform can't really do. So here you have the Enterprise and the Enterprise incident uh, and Kirk sort of doing this mission. But if things kind of go wrong, it's kind of like uh, 
you know, Mission Impossible, they'll, you know, the Federation will disavow any information and knowledge of what you're doing, and they're out on their own a little bit. Uh, kind of, uh, one of the reasons I picked this episode for this week, it is sort of similar to some of the things that are going on in the forum RPG game that we're doing right now. The ship that we run there, the Tiberius, is off on a mission uh, actually on Romulus right now uh, to do something, to do a rescue mission, basically, and it is sort of under the orders of a certain individual, the character actually that I play in the uh, RPG, but the Federation isn't really sanctioning what they're doing. And, and again, it's another situation where they are doing something, the Federation isn't really backing it because they don't want to start a war is what it amounts to. Uh, if the government isn't really, you know, the, the government in a way being the Federation isn't sanctioning the thing, then they're kind of off the hook. And anyway, so a little bit of a side note there. Let's go on. Uh, the One of the best parts, I think, about this episode is the strong uh, Romulan commander, played by uh, Joanne Linville, uh, who's a great actress, did a lot of good uh, TV around this time when they did Trek. Uh, She was on The Outer Limits, I think, The the Twilight Zone, a lot of different episodes of different cool TV shows, uh, One Step Beyond, another one. Um, She does a good job here. She's playing the Romulan commander and uh, sort of seduces Spock throughout the episode. They drink out of these little funny square glasses, and uh, kind of Spock gets his groove on a little bit in this episode. But uh, I think she does a good job. You know, you can see in this episode, you get to really see that the that women in the Romulan culture are treated as equals and can rise to fairly high-level positions in their military. And this commander aboard the Romulan ship is a good example of that. So next clip I will play for you. This one's about three minutes, kind of long, but I think there's some important things here. And this is the, I think this is the first confrontation between Kirk, Spock, and the commander, which the the Kirk and Spock beam over to the Romulan ship. So listen to this. We can appreciate the Vulcans, our distant brothers. I have heard of Vulcan integrity and personal honor. There's a well-known saying, or is it a myth, that Vulcans are incapable of lying? It is no myth. Then tell me truthfully now, by your honor as a Vulcan, what was your mission? I reserve the privilege of speaking only when it will not violate my honor as a Vulcan. It is unworthy of a Vulcan to resort to subterfuge. You're being clever, Commander. That is unworthy of a Romulan. It is not a lie to keep the truth to oneself. Then there is a truth here that remains unspoken. You've been told everything. There's nothing else to say. There is Mr. Spock's unspoken truth. You knew of the cloaking device that we have developed. You deliberately violated Romulan space with a blatant spy mission by order of the Federation. We've been all through that, Commander. We have not even begun! There is no force that I can use on a Vulcan that will make him speak. That is a fact. But there are Romulan methods completely effective against humans and human weaknesses. You would not resort to them, Commander. 
They would prove ineffective against the captain. Then they will leave him dead. Or what might be worse than dead. But I will know your unspoken truths. Let her rant. There's nothing to say. I cannot allow the captain to be further destroyed. The strain of command has worn heavily upon him. He's not been himself for several weeks. That's a lie! As you can see, Captain Kirk is a highly sensitive and emotional person. I believe he has lost the capacity for rational decision. Shut up, Spock! I'm betraying no secrets. The commander's suspicion that Starfleet ordered the Enterprise into the neutral zone is unacceptable. Our rapid capture demonstrates its foolhardiness. You filthy liar! I am speaking the truth. For the benefit of the Enterprise and the Federation, I say now, and for the record, that Captain Kirk ordered the Enterprise across the neutral zone on his own initiative and his craving for glory. I kill you! is not sane. It's uh, w- one of the things that's cool about that clip there in that scene, I think, is how logical everything Spock lays out for them, may, you know, how it all makes sense. And it, and it really works well. It's almost sort of a good cop, bad cop kind of thing a little bit, uh, I guess, in a way. But it's, you know, Spock being the logical, truthful Vulcan there gives him this very believable story that, uh, you know, Captain Kirk has kind of been losing it. He ordered them across. They got captured fast, which, you know, how could they be on a spy mission? Why would they get captured so fast? It all works and it all fits, except, of course, it's all really not true. And, you know, having Spock tell you something because he's so believable, I, I think, is very convincing for the Romulans, and it really works well in this episode. The next clip, I really, I get a kick out of this clip. Scotty is really always good in, in an episode where he gets to shine a little bit, and he's got a few good lines in this episode. James Dewan does a great job, and here's one of those parts that I really enjoy, uh, Scotty's bit in this episode. Security, put our two Romulan hostages in a brig. Lieutenant Uhura, give me a channel to that ship. Channel is open, Mr. Scott, and you are tied in. This is Lieutenant Commander Scott. The Enterprise takes no orders except those of Captain Kirk. And we will stay right here until he returns. And if you make any attempt to board or commandeer the Enterprise, it will be blown to bits along with as many of you as we can take with us. You humans make a brave noise. There are ways to convince you of your errors. Did you hear that, you coward? You've betrayed everything of value you ever knew. Did you hear the sound of human integrity? Take him to the security room. Yeah, good scene. Scotty, you know, getting his getting his Scottish brogue on and getting his ire up. You know, I guess ire is kind of a, a Irish thing, right? I don't know. But anyway, he's... Uh, you know, we don't take any orders except those of Captain Kirk. Very, you know, Scotty's probably more loyal or as loyal at least to Spock or McCoy to Kirk as anyone else. Uh, he really thinks highly of his captain, and it, it shows in this episode. He's, even with Kirk acting a little goofy, he's very loyal to him. So the uh, the next clip I've got for you is, of course, the scene uh, where uh, Spock uses the newfound Vulcan death grip on Kirk to kill him when Kirk goes at him in the in the security area in the brig there on the Romulan vessel. You know, this uh, this episode brings up and invents quite a few things. One is this Vulcan death grip. Of course, we find out later that that's not really a real thing. 
Uh, in the original storyline, it was actually going to be a kind of a, a little bit basically like the Vulcan nerve pinch. It was going to be more down on the neck area uh, from the back, uh, just like, you know, again, where Spock usually knocks somebody out by doing the little Vulcan neck pinch. But I, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it looked a little more spectacular, a little more interesting. I like the way he does it in the episode where he sticks his hand kind of all over uh, Kirk's face. You know, Leonard Nimoy has some really long fingers. You can see them really clearly in this episode a few times uh, in in that part where he, he puts his whole hand over Kirk's face. And then also later on when he's getting it on with the uh, Romulan commander. So this uh, next scene, though, the Vulcan death grip. Well, you can see for yourself, he's mentally depressed, physically weak, disoriented, displays feelings of persecution and rebellion. Then by your own standards of normality, this man is not fully competent. No, not now. Mr. Spock has stated that he believes the captain had no authority or order to cross the neutral zone. Could this uh, mental incapacity have afflicted him earlier? Yes, it's possible. Mr. Spock, the doctor has now confirmed your testimony as to the mental state of your captain. He was and is unfit to continue in command of the Enterprise. That duty has now fallen on you. Are you ready to exercise that function? I am ready. Spock, I don't believe it. There's no price you could pay that would make him sell out. The matter is not open for discussion, Doctor. What do you mean the matter's not open for discussion? That's enough, Doctor. As a physician, your duty is to save lives. Mr. Spock's duty is to lead the Enterprise and its crew to a safe haven. There is no alternative, Doctor. The safety of the crew is now the paramount issue. It is misguided loyalty to resist any further. for his attack. I instinctively used the Vulcan death grip. Your instincts are still good, Mr. Spock. The captain is dead. Uh, You almost want McCoy there to yell out, you're dead, Jim. You know, he's dead, Jim. Can't really say he's dead, Jim, because Jim's dead. <laughs> At least, of course, you know, uh, not really. You know, that, of course, that's not the case. Uh, he's he's Captain Kirk. He's Captain Kirk. He can't die. You know. Anyway, even in, even in the movies, you know, Shatner's brought him back in in the books. Anyway, so uh, let's move on. Let's speed things up a little bit. Get through some more of these clips. Uh, Next one is uh, back on the Enterprise. They take Kirk back there. This is kind of similar to what they did, in, of course, in a muck time where Spock supposedly kills Kirk. They get him back up to the ship, and he's not really dead. So a very similar kind of situation. Uh, but, of course, this time they're pulling it on the Romulans instead of uh, uh, the Vulcans. So let's go to that clip. I left orders that no one was to come in here. He's alive. Alive. Well, now that you know it, you might as well assist me. Hand me the physio stimulator. But he was dead. Their doctor certified he was dead. Spock gave him a nerve pinch to simulate death. Then Mr. Spock isn't a traitor. 
And you knew that all the time, and you didn't... I didn't know it until I beamed aboard the Romulan ship. Jim and Spock were operating under Federation orders. twisted off. That's the Balkan death grip for you. There's no such thing as a Balkan death grip. Oh, but the Romulans don't know that. Sure fool the doctors. You took a big chance that they didn't start an autopsy. As far as the rest of the crew is concerned, I'm still dead. Why? That's what this whole masquerade was about. To keep the Enterprise and the Federation off the hook. So that if anything went wrong, you would be the one to blame. Bones, I want you to prepare for surgery. What for? Yeah, so of course we know that the surgery is to uh, surgically alter Kirk to appear as a Romulan to get to the little pointed ears. You'll notice in this episode that the uh, Romulan's uh, pointed ears, they're not quite as long and elaborate and graceful as Spock's ears. They, they made them a little short, a little stubbier. You know, to show that the Romulans, while they're still uh, similar to the Vulcans and they they both had, you know, their ancestors sort of, you know, it's an offshoot the Romulans are of the Vulcans or however the Vulcans are an offshoot of the Romulans. However it is, they're kind of distant brothers or cousins in their their races. They, they're still a little different. They try to make that a little uh, to or try to make it show. Let's uh, let's get the words out. They tried to make that show by making their ears just a little different than Spock's. Like I said, still pointed, but not quite as long and elaborate as Spock's ears. But, but, you know, part of that, I think, is just the shape of the individual's ears that they're adjusting. So the next clip is Spock. Uh, I called this one, let's see, Enterprise Incident Clip Number 8, Spock Commander Groove On. So there are several scenes in this episode where... Spock is basically kind of stalling and, and distracting the Romulan commander and sort of wooing her uh, with, you know, eh, yeah, sure, I'll join the Romulan fleet. And yeah, we could, you know, hook up or whatever, even though I'm not going through Pond Far. As long as we keep drinking this weird stuff out of these square glasses, I'm happy. So, <laughs> but uh, this, this one clip I grabbed uh, uh, to sort of, um, you know, be an example of those little different scenes from the episode. So listen to this. I can be so moved by the touch of an alien hand. I must confess that I, too, am moved emotionally. I know it is illogical. Mr. Spock, we mustn't question what we truly feel. Accept what is happening between us. Even as I do. Permission to enter. Not now. It is urgent, Commander. Enter. Commander, we have intercepted an alien transmission. Located source. We have, Commander. This room.
cloaking device. Bring him. Ah, yes. So she discovered that Spock was just leading her on there a little bit. She's probably a little upset about that. Uh, <laughs> the uh, couple things, uh, a couple technical things about this episode that are a little bothersome. First, they beam back and forth a few times uh, between the Enterprise and the Romulan ship and aren't really detected. The Romulans don't even have their shields up. It seems kind of odd and kind of unlikely, you know, that they uh, that they'd be able to do that. And e- even if they could do it, that they wouldn't be detected. So that's that's one thing. Um, in the original story, it was actually uh, both Kirk and McCoy in the original draft of the story. In this episode, that both went over. Kirk and McCoy both went over to the Romulan vessel to get the uh, the cloaking device, which at the time, actually, in the episode, like I said, originally written, it wasn't even installed. This was an extra one that was sort of in a lab. I think it's kind of more interesting that it was just the one they had installed on the vessel that they, you know, Kirk had to remove and then get out of there and beam back to the Enterprise and have Scotty install it quickly. The cloaking device itself, it's sort of a uh, pretty easy to identify. It's a it's basically a combination of a couple of props they used on the series before. Mostly it's the Nomad uh, device from the episode The Changeling, along with that little sphere that Sargon was in in Return to Tomorrow. So they kind of took a couple of old props, kind of mashed them together, and made the cloaking, the Romulan cloaking device. It looks kind of cool. It looks kind of futuristic. But for any real Star Trek fan who's watched these episodes more than a couple of times, you'll recognize the different parts to it. So that that's a little, you know, it's unfortunate they couldn't build something new. But, you know, that was the budget back in the 60s to do these episodes. They didn't really have the ability to build a, a whole new prop each time. So they had to make do. Uh, the last uh, clip here that I want to play for you is is the big escape clip. They've got back to the Enterprise. Scotty's working his engineering mojo on the cloaking device and hooking it into engineering. You know, Scotty is definitely a miracle worker here. He's taking a completely alien and uh, different piece of technology, you know, within a few minutes tying it into the Enterprise's, you know, engines or whatever. He's got to hook it into whatever power system he hooks it into to, to power this thing up and cloak the Enterprise. So, uh Scotty, hey, we couldn't do it without you. So anyway, listen to this uh, second-to-the-last clip for this episode. Holding at warp nine, sir. Switch on that device. I did, sir. It's not working. I would give you credit, Captain, for getting this far. But you will be dead in a moment. And the credit would be gratuitous. Lieutenant, open a channel to the Romulan vessel. I see. I have subcommander Tal, sir. Establish two-way visual contact. We have you under our weapons enterprise. You cannot escape. This is Captain Kirk. Hold your fire. We have your commander aboard. Commander? Destroy this vessel. I gave you a direct command. Helmsman, flank speed. Weapons officer, stand by to fire main batteries as soon as we reach optimum range. Scotty, we're running out of time. Captain, I'm working as fast as I can. You see, Captain, your effort is being wasted. Mr. Spock, distance from the Romulan vessel? 150,000 kilometers, Captain, and closing very rapidly. Stand by, phasers. Commander, you'll forgive me if I put up a fight? Of course. 
It's expected. 100,000 kilometers, they should commence firing at us within the next 12.7 seconds. Study. It's ready now, Captain, but I don't know whether our circuits can handle this alien contraption. Roll the switch. It'll likely overload. Roll the switch. Weapons officer, commence fire. the cloaking device quickly compute enemy course from last position and open fire yes sir Sulu call about 318 mark 7 318 mark 7 sir executing yep so Kirk and Spock successful in their mission get the cloaking device get out of Romulan territory get back into Federation space uh the uh you know good good job guys i mean come on that's uh quite an accomplishment really <laughs> it's uh and they have the romulan commander uh it's uh it's a good episode i've got one last clip for you and this of course is the sort of very end of the episode a little funny bit of uh between spock and kirk on the bridge and i will play it for you right now entering neutral zone captain Check on. Thank you, Mr. Leslie. Sick bay to bridge. What is it, Bones? Well, if all the shouting's over up there, I'd like for you to report to sick bay. What for? Well, you're you're in surgery. I'm going to bob your ears. Captain, please go. Somehow, they do not look aesthetically agreeable on humans. Well, are you coming, Jim? Or do you want to go through life looking like your first officer? I'm on my way. So there you've got the Enterprise Incident, Season 3 classic original Star Trek episode. One of my favorites, and I, I think there's a lot of cool things in this episode. Brings a lot of things to light about the Romulans and their society and you know how women figure into their military organization and all that. Uh, Spock and you know the, the principals, especially William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, get to do a lot of cool things in this episode really stretch a little bit and and do some things that you don't get to do a lot of times in various episodes of Trek. So really like it. Great show. And uh, I'm going to play now a, a little clip from Rick Moyer and what he thinks about the Enterprise incident along with a few other comments about what's been going on with him. So here's Rick, and I'll be back in a couple minutes. Hey, everybody. This is Rick Moyer, Moyer777 from the forums. And uh, this is my review of the Enterprise incident. Well, this is a great classic episode of Trek with some really, really cool moments. I really liked seeing Kirk in Romulan makeup. For some reason, it was cool. There's something about this that made me really enjoy the episode. I I really like that on TNG and DS9 as well and Voyager when the characters would like do different makeup or be made to look like a different alien or something. It was just cool seeing the characters we know and love out of their element with makeup on and stuff. It's just really, really cool. I also thought it was fascinating, no pun intended, that Spock was part of an elaborate deception. 
he seemed to be really developing feelings for this Romulan lady. And, of course, at the end of the episode, we kind of find out that he does kind of like her. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of kids they'd have. Maybe a Romulan? Sorry. Well, all in all, this is one of those episodes that makes Trek great. They had action, adventure, plot twists, crazy captains, and good acting. I'm going to give it a four out of five stars. There you go. The Enterprise incident. Also wanted to update you all on, on our... Uh, the progression on our home. Yeah, as many of you know, we went through a real bad storm um, here a couple of weeks ago or a week ago or so, and uh, we had a real rough situation. Our house was damaged, and uh, we had to move out. So I'm recording this here in our rental and excited about being able to have power and heat. That's a good thing. But uh, just let everybody know, again, thank you so much for all your support and your email and your encouragement. The Moyer family was very blessed by you. And we really appreciate it, all our friends at Trex and Sci-Fi. And want you to know that our house is being put back together. You can go to the Trex and Sci-Fi forum at trexandsci-fi.com and go to the forum and take a look at in the general uh, category there under progression of the Moyer home. And you can see all the cool, the new roof and all the sheetrock goes up on Monday. And we should hopefully be moving back in soon. I'll keep you posted on that. Bless you guys and gals. Have a great day. This is Rick Moyer. Moyer 777 saying live long and prosper. Well, thanks, Rick. Thanks for uh, your comments about the Enterprise incident and for you filling us in on uh, how the repairs are going to your home. I hope those turn out really well. Looks like they're doing a great job from the photos that I've seen you post up on the forum. Uh, I'm really happy. It's it's great they're getting that done so quickly, especially with probably a lot of other uh, homes damaged in that area. I know when things like that happen in places Sometimes it's difficult to get things done and fixed right away just because there's so so much of a demand when uh, when there's a lot of work like that and only so many people to do the construction or reconstruction. So that's great that they're helping you out and getting it done so quick. Uh, I'm glad everyone's okay, and I hope you guys uh, don't have any more bad weather anytime soon. Uh, it uh, it can be really amazing how, how quickly things can change, what Mother Nature can do. So anyway, again, happy to uh, hear things are going well for you. Let's slip over into collectible territory. Let's talk about a few things. Uh, one, uh, if you remember on the forums, I've been posting some things up there. A lot of collectible sites and you know that sell collectibles and you know DVD sites like Deep Discount. Uh, a lot of these places, StarTrek.com, uh, you know, a great number of them are putting up uh, big sales these days because of the holidays. So. I definitely urge everyone, hey, you know what, uh, point somebody that uh, you know that might be buying you something to some of these websites or, you know, buy yourself something for the holidays. Nothing wrong with that uh, if you see something you like because you can get some really great deals out there these uh, at this time of the year on, on some cool items that, you know, have been sort of sitting in inventory in places and maybe not moving as quickly as, as other, you know, other times they might. Uh, I've gotten a couple of good deals lately myself, you know. I mean, we're talking about, you know, half-off prices, two-for-one deals, all kinds of good stuff. So check it out uh, when you get a chance. Uh, but the collectible for this week, this is something I got a couple of months back, I think, I had posted some basic pictures up on the forum, but I wanted to do a little more formal look at it today. For a long time, uh, I'd wanted to pick up uh, one of these items, and they've been quite a few different versions of it put out by different uh, people over the years. Uh, Richard Coyle has done some really nice ones. Uh, This one is a fairly basic uh, version of it. Um, I'm talking about the 
the blaster or gun that was used by Rick Deckard in Blade Runner. It's his police special. Uh, it's got like kind of a number on it, LAPD model 2019. This is the, uh, it's got a dual trigger on it. Uh, it. It's a very cool gun. It looks like sort of a, a what you would expect maybe a, a futuristic police special gun to look like. It's it's a typical, you know, amber-colored handle you know, no longer a wooden grip handle for a pistol, but a kind of a plastic amber handle, at least on the replica here. And it's made out of metal and plastic, at least the one I got. Uh, there have been some all-metal versions that have been done uh, from different pretty people over the years. I don't think there's really ever been an official one produced. You know, like Master Replicas has produced Star Trek and Star Wars items. I don't think for the Blade Runner uh, props and replicas they've ever done anything uh, officially uh, licensed, at least for the props, I should say. I know they've been some some small amount of other uh, collectible items from the film, but I don't think the police special, the gun that Deckard uses in the movie, has ever been done officially. So it's been up to you know replica producers, sort of the the you know I don't know what you call it, the the guys that produce these things for the fans on like the replica prop forum that I'm a member on. Uh, that do these things. Anyway, this thing swings open. Uh, the barrel swings open. You can. Uh, there's a couple little LED lights on it that light up with a little battery inside. It's a very nice piece. Like I said, this is uh, probably a lower end version of it that I picked up. Uh, like I said, a couple months ago off the forum where somebody was making a, a pretty good offer of a run of these. Uh, they show up from time to time on eBay. A lot of different versions, like I said, of these. I, I'm pretty happy with this one. I still want to get a case for it. I've got a little stand for it. I'm going to take some photos of it, and they'll be up in the collection gallery that I've got. Uh, uh, getting there, almost finished, uh, or at least most of the props are up. i got to add some details and things uh, still to some areas. But uh, there will be some photos up of this uh, Deckard's Blaster Gun Police Special uh, as soon as the podcast goes up, or pretty close to that. Uh, but this is a cool gun. I think they uh, they used it well in the movie. I mean, it, it shows up a lot. He's obviously a cop. He's going after these uh, replicants or whatever they're called. Uh, and the reason I wanted to talk about it this week is the new, like, ultimate, ultimate uh, Max Dragon Edition DVD ultimate set of Blade Runner is coming out uh, this week. Uh, it is uh, the these ultimate set they're doing is coming in a little briefcase like Deckard uses in the movie, a little silver briefcase. And I've got it on order with Amazon. I should be getting that sometime soon. It's, I think, five DVDs. And I ordered the HD DVD set of it, of course. So that'll be cool to get. Um, it's, uh, you know, this has got all the different versions of the movie. This thing has been edited a few different times by Ridley Scott over the years. You know, this version, that version, you know, whatever version. I've gotten them kind of confused at this point of what's in what version. I know a little bit about the story behind it all. We won't get into that right now, but uh, but suffice it to say, this Ultimate Edition is coming out this week, and so I thought I'd talk about Deckard's gun also on the show. Cool replica. Uh, that's about all I have to say on it uh, for the Blade Runner fans and collectible uh, people out there. It might be something you might want to pick up at some point in time. Okay, I'm going to slide into uh, the podcast now. The the second part to the Alan Silvestri segment that Vartok did. This is about four minutes, and I'll come back and then wrap up the podcast for you. Hi, everyone. 
This is Vartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier to about what Alan Silvestri spent $75 on before his first movie composition. Alan had no composition experience at that time. He notes, I had to have a meeting with the movie producer the next day, so I went to the bookstore and asked for every book they had on writing music for a movie. Well, there was only one, How to Score a Film by Earl Hagen. It was $75, which was more than I could afford. But I had to have it, so I bought it, and I spent all night reading it cover to cover. When I watched the film with the producer, and he asked me what I thought and what my ideas were, I told him, and he gave me the movie. He said, see you in two weeks. I had two weeks to score the film, which I did. I wrote about 60 minutes of music for it, and the next thing I knew, I was a film composer. How important is the connection between the movie director and the composer? Listen to this 2007 clip between Alan Silvestri and two movie review podcasters, Chris and Jimmy, of the Seen and Unseen Com podcast. You don't get a chance to hear composers talk often. I mean, very little articles are written about them, even less. They're, they're interviewed. It's, they're the soul of the movie often, and without them, the movie can be empty, and yet no one takes time to talk to a guy like Alan. It's too bad. You always wonder what what uh, what the composers have to say. These are the guys that bring the emotion. They they reveal the emotion in the films, and they're the ones that make you cry. You know exactly. Along with the director, but it's it's very fine tuned. It's a very fine tuned relationship between the director and the composer. Hi, Al, sir. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, this is Chris, and I I got Jimmy on the phone line too. Hi, Jimmy. Good morning, Alan. How are you today? Great. What is that? Is that whole music yours, Al? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you are almost by far the the longest collaborator Bob has next to Bob Gale, and I'm wondering how you guys met, and if you can give the listeners kind of a background of where you guys began your journey together. Well, Bob and I we met. God, it's it's it was in the '80s. I'm thinking maybe it was 1985. I'm not sure exactly, but it was um, it was around. Um, the beginnings of Romancing the Stone. It was this very kind of serendipitous event where Bob was in post-production on that film, and the music editor on the film was a gentleman named Tom Carlin, who I had worked with uh, before. I guess they were searching for music at, uh, at this time, and I got a call on a, I think it might have been a Friday afternoon, telling me that there was this movie uh, that Tom was working on, and he said they were looking for a composer, and would I be interested in doing something on spec? So I said, absolutely. So, um, so Tom said, well, let me put the director on the phone. Bob introduced himself and said, so there's this scene, Al, um, and it's this guy and this girl, and they're, they're running through the jungle with machetes, cutting their way through, the federales are firing at them. It's raining, and it's just kind of nuts how, you know, they're, they're struggling, and, 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 and it's all this, you know, intense action. And can you, can you do something, you know, like maybe about three minutes or something, and then come see me tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and that was so, that. So I, I, I had the magic word on the tip of my tongue, which, which everyone... Who is, who is trying to enter show business should always have, and that word is yes. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment, and now back to you, Rico.
Very cool stuff, Vartok. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, really enjoyed listening to what they had to say, uh, especially that last segment. You know, these guys they were absolutely right that uh, composers are really seldom talked to or interviewed. You know, they'll talk to people that produce music, you know, vocals and songs for movies. But the the composers, really, they just get kind of ignored. And I agree completely. I'm a huge musical uh, or movie soundtrack buff and fan and, you know, not just Trek and Star Wars and the biggies like that, but just all of them. And uh, really enjoyed the movie Contact, especially, that you were talking about earlier and the music for that. So uh, thanks a lot for doing that, Vartok. Really appreciate it. Okay, gang, folks, people, uh, podcast listeners out there with your iPods and your you know, MP3 players of some type. Uh, we've come to the end of another podcast. Just about done with this one. Uh, again, uh, always, I uh, just want to thank everyone for continuing to support the show, continuing to listen after, you know, 150-plus episodes, and really, uh, I'm really enjoying it. And looking forward to 2008. I was kind of looking at the, the schedule for movies. You know, TV's kind of a bust right now with what's out there, although there are going to be a few things like the Sarah Connor Chronicles to talk about uh uh, and, uh, and some other things sci-fi and fantasy related in the early part of 2008, like Cloverfield and a few other movies in that. Uh, and, of course, towards the end of the year, Christmas Day in 2008, will be the Star Trek movie. But lots of summer movies coming, so I think lots of great stuff in store in the next year or so. And I'm not going anywhere. We'll continue to podcast until I can, you know, can't stop. <laughs> so, anyway, everyone, have a great week. I will be talking to you again next time with our Skype show. Like I said early in the podcast, that will be coming up on next week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Until then, everyone, be careful out there in the weird weather. Uh, Don't go too crazy with your Christmas shopping if you've still got that going on. And uh, that's about all. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye, everyone. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay, this has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.